Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Bruce. How's it going there in London? Okay. I'm in an airport lounge waiting to go home. So let's, I guess the way that I'd want to frame the conversation today is um, we had a fair amount of data, particularly U.S. data this week. And, um, you know, one issue is about the pluses and minuses of the data, which I think uh, overall, uh, you know, GDP came in softer than what we expected. There's some clear sense of a loss of momentum on consumer demand, on durables going into the end of the quarter. We have still elevated claims. So there's clearly a sense that things are soft. But, you know, against the backdrop of a view that the U.S. economy is probably going to be sluggish for the next uh, number of months, but not break. The question, I guess, is how, how comfortable are we feeling with that? You know, what is the the signal on the on the data flow in the U.S. that either raises more concern that we might be breaking or gives us comfort. So, with that in mind, and obviously there's other things to talk about outside the U.S., but let's start with this. You know, well, what's what's the way you process the main messages from this week? How do you look at it? Look, I think I think starting points matter, and it's important to remember that despite the disappointments, global GDP looks to have posted 3.6 percent annualized last quarter. That's a full percentage point above potential. It's two percentage points of what we were expecting uh, you know, when we did our year ahead outlook. China's reopening, Europe is getting a policy and maybe some weather related boost. US inflation is fading, strong labor, fiscal spending, transfers, all those things uh, are showing that the forces for lift are outweighing whatever drags people had feared. And there were people who were fearing a recession in the first half of this year. So. Let's not forget that the eyes are shifting to the second quarter, as you, as you as you note. But I think even on that point, that is a familiar refrain, right? For the past year, since the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've started the quarter with very downbeat views across the community of, of forecasters and prognosticators, uh, and things keep getting revised up. Now we. We've had a forecast of wait for it. We've pushed back against the idea that things were breaking over the past year, right up until last quarter. We still think things aren't going to break this quarter, but of course, wait for it means eventually it will be now is the time. We don't think we're there yet. And I think the data that we got this week kind of has enough supports in it to suggest that things aren't, aren't breaking uh, immediately. In the euro area where GDP was softer than expected, a three-tenths instead of 1%, that owed to the kind of crazy uh, uh, Irish data that was down 10%. If you take out Ireland, uh, you know, you're up eight tenths of a percent, which is pretty close to our forecast. In the U.S., inventories were a big part of the drag. Final sales had a robust 3.4 percent annualized gain. Also, the saving rate on the consumer, you mentioned the consumer is kind of losing some steam. That was after a very strong start to the year. And, you know, if you look at the fact that the saving rate is now five, over 5 percent, 5.1 percent. Yeah. You know, that that provides some lift against a backdrop of what our labor market is going to do. I think that's the key, because if there's a weakness in the U.S. report, it's that, you know, equipment spending was down a lot. And that inventory drag could be interpreted as a sense of business caution. I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think, you know, the jobs report next week will set us up for maybe a sign well, of whether that's good or bad. I think it is the case that, the you know, we had a big slowing in, in business investment spending, we had a big, uh, we had basically a stalling in stock building. I think it is the case that businesses are, um, are turning more cautious. I think the question is to what degree are they turning more cautious? And I think, as you noted, 
um, having gotten inventories, uh, basically the stall and having an inventory sales ratio in the economy wide, that's actually pretty lean here relative to pre-pandemic levels. You know, it's encouraging. It means that businesses may be cautious, but they're cautious in a way that they've they've got an alignment between um, uh, their inventories and where where final sales might be. Uh, I think the second that's a, thing that's here. That's a U.S. story, right? Because I think I'm just talking things- U.S. now. Look, if we're talking a break, it's U.S. I don't think anybody's thinking we're going to see China or Europe break in the next three months. This is a if we're going to have a problem with the global economy in the next three months. It's going to come from the U.S. So let's let's stay here for a couple of minutes. And I think. Um, you know, the other thing that I'd emphasize, you, you noted correctly that the consumer spending numbers slowed into the end of the first quarter, um, but it slowed after a very strong January and it's slowing with income continuing to grow. I think in the business sector side, um, we have, you know, a quarter where your real GDP was on the weak side, but we had a very strong pricing uh, number for the corporate sector. Uh, nominal GDP was up 5% on the quarter. Uh, yeah. That's not far from where our labor costs were growing. So, um, Moreover, I'd emphasize that as you're looking at the earnings reports that are coming in, I was looking at our equity teams. They're all surprising to the upside, right? They're beating estimates. Yeah, no, I think that's the point. I think the the there is a caution. It's coming, obviously, in an environment in which credit is probably tightening here. Uh, but it's also coming in a backdrop where businesses are pretty well positioned here coming into the second quarter. And that that I think, you know, as you say, it's partly now a story of what we see in the labor market, but I kind of interpret the labor market now, particularly from the lens of what is service sector demand doing as we move into the second quarter. You know, in the consumption report uh, today on March, there was a modest gain continuing in real service sector spending, which is encouraging. Uh, PMI services in April went up. We'll see next week the job number, which I think will be hopefully a decent gain uh, on the service We're certainly going to be above our, I, well, I shouldn't say certainly, but well, I think it will be above our forecast, right? We have a very downbeat view in our forecast, right? 70,000 a month on average for the second quarter. Well, I don't know what our forecast is for April yet, but we'll see. Um, hasn't come yeah, out. Sorry. That's I mean, that, that, that's our like our kind of high altitude quarterly forecast, right? I, what, for yeah. next week, we don't know what the team is forecasting. But I, but think, I think in the context of the data, what's important next week, is to get a sense from the job report, from the ISM services survey, um, you know that we're we still have a service sector that's providing an impulse here, and I think in the context of a business sector of a, of a manufacturing sector that is still looking weak but has gotten inventories clean, you know the hope is that what we're seeing in the rest of the world and saw in the first quarter pickup in U.S. exports, what we're hoping to see in a fading of the tech uh, sector drag. That these things over two or three months start to to balance out, perhaps with the housing. I don't think you have to hope, Bruce. I mean, I, 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 you and I were kind of going back and forth on this. I think when you look at the sweep of the business surveys and the manufacturing surveys, I know you can point to like the the Philly, which was was down. But if you look at where things are relative to February pre SVB, um, you know the bulk of surveys in the U.S. and the bulk of surveys across the world are are up. In the last couple of months, and that's a that's a manufacturing sector story. That's not a sign of momentum loss, right? If you if you look no, at but the surveys not a, momentum indicators, then I, I, I think, think the it's, U.S. manufacturing surveys are yet sitting in territory that point to any meaningful growth in manufacturing. They just moved away from 
more significant weakness earlier in the right in the but as i as i said i think to the extent we look at these surveys as momentum indicators and i know that's the kind of foremost way you tend to look at these surveys then it's a then it's a positive sign yeah no i think that's that's fair but we're not we're not yet through this and that's uh, that's where we're going to be tracking let's turn to inflation for a second i think one of the other interesting reports this morning was the employment cost index and i think um private sector wages coming in at 1.2 on the quarter and sitting at five on a year ago basis, showing very little trajectory downward does throw some cold water on the uh, dynamics you see in the average hourly earnings number and, and gives more, I think, credence to the message we have from the, the other important wage indicator, which is Atlanta Fed. So there's a, you know, there is a sense here that um, labor costs are continuing to grow at a pretty rapid pace. Um, and that dynamic is, um, you know, part of the tight labor market is probably part of the story that wage bargaining power is being affected by the psychology of having had uh, now, you know, two years of, of elevated inflation, as I think is what we've been getting from most of the settlement data coming out of Europe as well. Um, I mean, so that, I, I, I totally agree that, you know, the hot wage inflation is something to keep our eyes on. And obviously, you know, they, uh, you know, Powell and company have have kind of pointed that out. I, I keep making the, the the argument that you should be able to tolerate wage inflation so long as it's not passing through to price inflation, and that has. But that's what we're seeing. That my point. My point is the wage inflation and the price inflation are connected. Uh, part of it is about supply that's been hit. Part of it's about psychology that's shifting, and it's the the combination of those two. I mean, what what one of the reasons why I think I'm feeling okay that the corporate sector is not going to break is because pricing power has held up so well uh, at the start of the year. So I look it is at the interesting. Wage and core, core CPI in the U.S., um, the March number was not a huge amount softer than we expected, but it was about, what, five basis points weaker than we thought? Weak is a strong, is not the right word. That but you're going to put a put a spin on I think five basis points lower point two eight. i look anytime i see it drop below three look, times, the, this the is the monthly... lowest we've seen it's the lowest we've seen since november which was a you know those were kind of a point where we uh, felt like things were moving in the right direction I mean, if we want to look at the monthly number today the core market-based pc pce number was up 0.39 uh it's not I, I don't think you can look at the inflation numbers now and get anything uh from any of the data that's really giving you confidence that we're we're about to slide. Obviously, you can take a you can take a view on that, but I think the to me the the message uh, from the broader sweep of data, looking at labor markets, looking at inflation, is that this is more than just tight labor markets, more than just the uh, cost pressures. It's now a a dynamic of strong pricing power integrating with psychology shifting, and unfortunately, I don't think. Uh, like the BOE might be suggesting that everybody just will calm down or should calm down. I think, unfortunately, central bankers are going to have to uh, compress pricing power here. It's not about killing the labor market. It's about well, compressing pricing I mean, you say power. that, I, I get that story, but you say that with such conviction, the way you phrase it, the words you're using, the tone you're using is with such conviction. You're saying that you, you're now back to the Fed needs to go to 6% view? No, not at all, because I don't know what the economy is going to deliver. What I will say is, yeah, if, the, if, the, if we're sitting here in six or nine months and the U.S. is growing at or above trend and the um, uh, labor market is as tight as it is today, um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, then yeah. the Fed will go. You know, so the big issue here is not the inflation process, it's whether or not the damage being done by credit and what's happened already 
I mean, I think the way to, to, to kind of fine tune this a little bit more, maybe hold your feet to the fire, uh, and, and we should be clear to viewers, I, I think we're kind of on the on the same page with this and where the pressures are, the whole boil the frog notion is a, is a risk that I think uh, maybe is not fully appreciated, uh, certainly in market pricing. So the, the hold the feet to the fire is to say, let's talk June, like, where are you on on I think you. the Fed's going to pause, but I think the Fed's going to pause not because it's well, going to get stagnant. Then you're not too worried about this. Of course, I'm worried about it. What I'm the my reaction function of the Fed is that a they are concerned about banking sector stress. B the debt ceiling story is going to come into the picture. C the U.S. economy is going to be growing in a sluggish pace, and they and D they still are a New Testament Fed. They still are forgiving of our inflation things. I think there's right. a pretty good chance that they will be having to restart the process. There's also a reasonably good chance that the credit tightening drag builds and interacts with the Fed that doesn't ease and takes us down, which is Mike Frawley's forecast. That's a reasonable forecast, but I think mm -hmm. there's two there's two ways that can go. And I think, of course, the market is not putting hardly any weight on the the scenario where they have to come back and, and restart the tightening process. But let's, let's turn to next week, which we do have both the Fed um, and the ECB up. Why don't you give me your perspective on how you see the Fed next week? I, I think the Fed has enough information and in everything we said. I, I, I think they're filtering it the same way, which is that you're seeing continued resilience and notwithstanding some of the softness and the headline reads on GDP, there's enough outright strength in the data. I think the, the payrolls will be important. We should also recognize that the senior loan officer survey, if you're worried about the banking sector stress, the senior loan officer survey, which comes out a week from Monday, but it is a Fed survey. So it's very likely they're going to have all that information ahead of that meeting. Um, you know, I, I think the, the bulk of the data is going to give them all the room they need to do 25. My, I think the big question is, what's the signal they're going to send both in the statement and in the presser. And here, uh, you know, my sense is this is going to be a day of reckoning for the market because, you know, the market pricing of, you know, pretty sizable cuts as we move out through the rest of the year, I think is going to have to grapple with a Fed that is, is still wrestling and, and I think more leaning towards some of the risks that you just mentioned uh, to, towards the upside of having to potentially do more. And maybe that is a New Testament Fed that pauses a little bit, but boy, their bias is not going to be to be cutting and their bias is probably going to be to watching the data, but they will be two-sided. They will say, we will go if we have to. And right now the, the resilience and the inflation is not moving in a way that makes us feel very comfortable. I don't think that's going to be something that is consistent with the, the, the current market pricing. Well, I think they're going to give an equivocal hawkish message, which isn't probably going to change anybody's but views. Anything the, is hawkish. Anything that is hawkish is going to be counter to uh, a market pricing that sees cuts in the second half of the year. No, I mean, market pricing is going to depend on what the you know idea that there's going to be a, a significant uh, hit to the data or a significant stress factor in financial markets that's going to force the Fed to ease, regardless of what they say at next week's meeting. I think the Fed itself won't be very strong in its uh, forward guidance because it's got two payrolls, two CPIs, as you say, the loan officer survey all coming between now and the June meeting. I think next week's going to be boring in a sense because the Fed's just not going to, other than do the perfunctory uh, hawkishness. Also, just be aware, I'm pretty sure that between uh, any of the last three or four Fed hiking cycles, um, 
you know, basically before the last move and before they got ready to ease, they were still holding hawkish biases. So, you know, I don't think it, I don't think the hawkish bias, especially as it's going to be delivered very equivocally, is going to make I don't much. Know if that's true, but I'll here. tell you what, just as a small plug, we can verify that now because we have these new tools out there, these <laughs> natural language processing. Uh... <laughs> Go for it, Joe. Go. Can Go. we talk about products, Bruce? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think we do. I think we have to say one more word about ECB calls for next week, and yeah. then you can take as much time as you want about the <laughs> national natural language processing. But let's just say on the ECB, we've been uh, holding a 50 basis point call. Uh, we are looking for some of the data next week, the inflation data. Um, there is a, a loan officer survey, I think, next week. In yeah, the, so those both, come out on those both come out on Tuesday, the loan officer sure. survey and then the HICP. I think right now uh, we are it's it's a very close call, according to, to Greg, of between 25 and 50. I, you could argue that the balance of things is leaning a little towards 25. I, I, I actually think things are leaning to 50, but maybe you've, you've beaten some hawkishness into me over the... <laughs> the past few months. So maybe I'm leaning too far in that direction. But Greg basically is saying he's going to have to kind of tweak his view once he sees the HICP and the and the senior loan officer survey, which makes a lot of sense. And that comes out on Tuesday. Okay. So give us the pitch, Joe. You de delivered something important this week, which we'll get to, to really turn on as we get the Fed and ECB next week. So let's 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 end on that. Okay, I mean, we, we I think we're going to have a podcast on this as well. But uh, yeah, for those that didn't see it, we uh, kind of put out this natural language processing score for the hawkishness or dovishness of central bank speak. I think there's an argument to be made that you know central bank speak has increased in importance over the last couple of decades. Tracking that is, you know, the scrutiny that's being applied to that has certainly picked up, and doing that in a systematic and quantitative way makes all the sense in the world. That's fertile ground for natural language processing. Past attempts at this have certainly been around for a while, but what's changed is the technology has improved like just amazingly. When I started this project a year ago, I was very skeptical and what came out is incredibly encouraging. And we should be clear, this is before ChatGPT, right? We were using kind of the older BERT-based methods and we're currently upgrading, but I'm, I'm extremely encouraged by what can come out of this and what we already have. Just for viewers, the data is all there for you. You can see it on Bloomberg, you can see it on Data Query, and you can have fun with it. We will also be putting out kind of um, from time to time these NLP reports based on various speeches uh, that we think are important and um, you can get the, the immediate we'll, update. We'll have the, we'll have the reports, the first the first versions of these for the Fed and ECB yeah. next week. And then, as you said, we're going to do a, a podcast spending more time talking about this and presenting the results of what we got from the initial yeah. round on, on, on Thursday. Yep. So um, let's leave it there. Next week's going to be a pretty big week. Um, and um, as we say, it's, it's really tracking time of whether we're kind of, you know, holding up and there's definitely divergence between the U.S. and the rest of the world. Uh, and we're still, I don't know, I want to say very comfortable. We're still certainly comfortable that we're not breaking here as we make the transition from first to the second quarter. Yeah. So with that, take care, everybody. Hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.